Welcome to Dear Wallflower, your podcast advice column where every week your hosts will answer a letter from listeners just like you, answering the big life questions facing today's women. Make sure to stick around for our weekly recommendations on books, movies, music, lifestyle, beauty, and more. We're so glad you're here. Grab a cup of tea and come on in. Welcome, dear listeners, to this episode of Dear Wallflower, a podcast for the woman with a deep inner world. I am your host, Kelia Clarkson. I'm an actress, writer, filmmaker, and the editor-in-chief of Wallflower Journal. And while my regular co-host, Jessica, is still on her UK trip, I have a very special guest filling in today. Amanda Dykes is a tea drinker, storyteller, and author. She's the winner of the 2020 Christie Award Book of the Year, a 2019 Booklist Top 10 title, and the recipient of the Inspi Award for her debut novel, Whose Waves These Are. Since then, she's also released a few other books, including All the Lost Places and Set the Stars Alight. She lives in Nevada with her husband and their four children, and it's an honor to have her on today. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kilia. It's truly a joy to be here. I love your community. I love your podcast. And so this is truly a privilege and a treat. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The love is mutual. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, we have a few wonderful letters that we're going to be exploring today. But first, let's get into our pre-letter segment of the show called Roses and Thorns, where we recount our highs and lows of the week, starting with our thorn, something that left us feeling dry or depleted or frustrated that week, and finishing off with our rose, something that fostered our inner world or brought us joy or built us up. So Amanda, what was your thorn and what was your rose this week? I love this question. And I have to say, I feel like I am pretty lucky. I don't have much of a thorn to share this week. Um, other than just, it's been a season where I felt a little bit run down, a little bit tired. And so as part of that, I'll share more of this with the Rose portion, but, um, we took a, a really quick trip, me and my kids. And when we got back from that, everything had gone great. We had some adventures and what pops up on my car, but the check engine light and a bunch of other lights that I have no idea what they're like the automotive version of hieroglyphics. (laughs) So that's always a little bit alarming when that happens. And that was sort of a thorn, but thankfully I think we've got it all worked out. Um, And honestly, truly, that's not much to complain about compared to some weeks, you know, (laughs) it's true. Yeah. So, And and then what about your roads? So for the rose, the flip side of that is that we did get to take that little trip. And that's part of kind of a bigger picture thing, which is sort of a mindset shift for me as far as sometimes I feel like as people, we think that rest or restoration, um, rejuvenation has to look like a giant big thing, you know, like a huge vacation Mm -hmm. or some grand piece of news or a whole week straight to do nothing. You know, these, and we, I don't think that's true. You know, as, as a Christian, I serve a God who can make enough out of loaves and fishes to feed a thousand. And if I have Mm. five minutes in my day and I'm feeling tired, something beautiful can happen in that five minutes or three minutes, Mm. or even like a trip to the trash can. And I get to see a beautiful (laughs) sunset while I'm taking the trash out, you know? So anyway, all that to say, 
I've tried in the last few years to begin making more of a habit of not necessarily stealing those moments, but looking out for them and Mm -hmm. trying to not, for example, this is silly, but I love the rain and we don't get a ton of it here because I live at the base of the mountains and the mountain peaks get most of the rain. It's this mountain shadow effect. And I've always been a little bummed out about that. And it dawned on me one day, I'm only 20 or 30 minutes away. If I want to see the rain, I can go see the rain. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'll jump in the car and go do that. And I've tried to make that more of a lifestyle, just jump in the car or go on a walk or whatever. And so bringing it back to answer your question about the rose, we had this day pop up on our schedules where most of us were free and that hardly ever happens. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, let's cease the moment. And we jumped to the car and we drove over to the coast, which is five hour drive. It's, it's not short, but um, we, we were only there for, we were there and back within 24 hours and made so many memories, just sweet memories in the car. And while we were there and um, we were staying at a, a hostel that is housed at a, an old lighthouse. It was so cool. Wow. And it's on this, the Pacific coast highway. And so it's kind of windy and it was a little stormy and I lost my GPS signal and we were getting very close. It was dark and it's just me and the kids and with the writer's imagination, of course, I'm immediately thinking of everything that could go wrong. And then (laughs) this thing starts blinking in the distance. And I'm like, that's our lighthouse. Our lighthouse (laughs) is guiding us home in this era when lighthouses don't guide people home anymore. And when everyone uses GPS and right when my GPS went out, we could see the lighthouse. And it was just this whimsical, beautiful moment. And um, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't have had that day and jumped in the car. And so the whole experience, that that was my rose for the week. <laughs> How about you? Wow. Well, first, I just want to say that's an incredible rose. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I have no doubt that that's going to be showing up in a, in a book of yours at some point, some I'm kind sure of it lighthouse. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I need to write a story about a lighthouse because they are so enchanting. But yes. That first novel you mentioned, Whose Waves These Are, is all about a lighthouse. So I was like, darn, been there, done that. But maybe enough time has passed now. I don't know. Maybe I could do another one. You could try it again. Yeah. 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 There's more lighthouses in the world. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, my thorn this week is that I've just been missing New York lately. We moved here from New York um, back in April. And, uh, there's just something about New York that is a, it's a heart place for me. It's just, it, it is where my heart kind of lives and breathes a little bit. And, um, I think for a while, the separation from New York was really good. And now that fall is upon us and thought it was always my favorite time in New York. There is this yeah. little glimmer of, oh, I'm a little bit sad. I kind of miss you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So my thorn, I guess, is that I, I don't, right now have uh, plans to visit yet, but hopefully I will. (laughs) Yes. I like that word yet. There could be some on the horizon. (laughs) Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. And as far as my rose, I am, I mentioned this a while ago. I am currently pursuing a a bachelor's degree to um, become a counselor one day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. And so my rose is that I am well on my way to completing the bachelor's, which is great. And congratulations. Thank you. I'm getting there. I, you know, I'm not 
exactly done. <laughs> There's still a little ways to go, but it's it's a great feeling of I yes. am I'm making progress. I'm seeing this um this progress bar when I log on to my um my schooling you know, website when we have to like plan all of our classes and you look at the progress bar and I see it going wow. up and that was my Oh, recipe. that's so encouraging. <laughs> that yeah. is so exciting. Yeah. I, lo- I love progress bars for that reason. It's like something to keep you going when things get tough or the road yes. looks long yes. or you're missing autumn in New York or <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It'll be a little while till it's all done, but it feels so good to be on the road. All right. So just a couple of things before we move on to our letters for today. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a review. It really helps to boost the podcast and get it in front of other people who might enjoy it, get something from it. And we would love to encourage you to send in your own letter to dearwallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. We would be honored to have the opportunity to speak into the issues that you are facing today. All right. So let's move on to our letters today. Yes, there are more than one. And they each covered the subject of how to get into writing fiction, which I think is such a wonderful subject to tackle right now, given that National Novel Writing Month is uh, just around the corner, November. It's often right. Yes, often referred to as NaNoWriMo. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I just know for a fact that we have so many uh, listeners that are aspiring novelists. And so there were so many questions, uh, wonderful questions that we got for this episode that I could not uh, pick just one. So let's start with the first question. Amanda, what are some of your best tips for outlining your book and making sure you have an interesting plot? This is such a great question because outlining can be so difficult, especially when we're just like inspired with an idea and immediately just want to jump into writing it without thinking too much. So what are your tips there? This is such a good question. I feel like we could probably do a whole like in-service on this. So I'm going to offer a few different tips and feel free on any of them. If anybody has any deeper questions on them, um, you know, there's a ton of information out there and it can feel overwhelming to know where to start. So feel free to reach out to me by email or um, social media or anywhere if you have follow-up questions to any of this. But I'll start by saying that um, in the writing world, you will often hear people, writers classify themselves as one of two different types of people, two different types of writers, plotters who like to outline everything and kind of know pretty much everything about where they're going or pantsers, which is a short sort of colloquialism for someone who writes by the seat of their pants, someone (laughs) who just does it on the fly, follows the story wherever it may lead. And there are many, many people who are somewhere in between, who are sort of a hybrid, um, somewhere on the spectrum in there. I tend to fall somewhere in between, but I preface all this with that, because just so you know, going into this, your writing style and your approach may look different than everybody else's or most other writers that you know, and that's okay. I would just, first of all, encourage you to embrace that. Um, And it may take some time to figure out what works best for you. And that's okay. It's trial and error. It's figured, it's like you are opening up this beautiful, gigantic toolbox 
but it has to be a magical one because we're writers. So imagine yourself opening this like treasure chest full of tools and, you know, light shining and shimmery things floating about and magical music playing. (laughs) You're, you're exploring all of these tools that are available to you and you don't have to use them all. You get to try what works for you. What are the best tools for building your particular story? Um, So anything I say today, they're just tools. They're just there for your consideration. Mm. But since you asked about outlining, I will talk about a couple of different methods that I've tried or others that I know have tried. Um, The first thing I would say is do some research on the three-act structure. Mm -hmm. So the three-act structure is something that if you don't know it, you actually do know it because it's basically the core, the skeleton of every or most books you've seen, movies that you've enjoyed, it's, it's the scaffolding underneath the surface that holds up everything that you see mm-hmm. and know and love. Not every single story follows it and not every single story has to, but it sort of comes back to that old adage about before you can break the rules, you have to know the rules. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's understanding the anatomy of a story, the anatomy of how we as people are built to respond to it. And we almost have this innate sense of what's going to happen next or what we hope will happen next. And as you study it, you get more of an understanding for that, not only to um, utilize it, but also to sometimes turn it on its head and surprise your reader. Mm -hmm. So do some research on the three-act structure, and you'll see act one is generally where the main character, you get a glimpse of them in their normal world, where they're starting, where their journey's starting, what their story question is, which is sort of what is the burning thing inside of them that they're trying to Mm. solve or answer or pursue or change? That's their story question. And then at the end of act one, they generally come to what we call the point of no return. They're, they're at a fork in the road and they get to choose. Are they going to embark on this journey, whether it's a literal journey or a metaphorical journey, or are they not? And of course they do because that's why you have a story. And the rest is what we call the character's story arc because they have an arc. They're going someplace. They're changing. Without change, there is no story. Mm-hmm. So then um, act two opens up and act two generally takes up the bulk of the story. The Act one, act two, and act three normally are not equal lengths. So act one is a little bit shorter. Act two is almost like two separate acts in one. Some people mm-hmm. even delineate an act 2A and an act 2B because there's a midpoint in your novel, which is really important. And we'll talk, talk about that in a second. Um, and then at the end, you have your act three. So in act two, 2A, your character's on their journey. They're beginning to gather supplies for what they need or talk to people or or go get the people they need to help them. If you imagine like a heist story, this is typically when they're assembling the team. Um, You know, we got to get so-and-so who's the aerial artist and the one who can pick the locks and the one who's the con artist and all of that. Um, And there's usually someone who's advising them, giving them some direction, sort of a sage type character. Mm. And then um, they're on their way, but they're continually encountering obstacles. And you're always letting them encounter obstacles because again, without without that, there's no story. Mm -hmm. And with obstacles, I'll just say, you want to be careful with them that you're not just putting them in there to propel the story forward or because it's time for another obstacle. You want to make sure it ties to something important. 
you know, something important for that character or one of the side characters um, whenever possible. So it's doing double duty. It's propelling the story forward and it's also revealing something about them or teaching something or Mm. um, allowing the reader or viewer to get a glimpse at the underlying story that's not as easy to see, the inner, whatever's going on on the inside of the character. And not every single obstacle has to do double duty, but whenever you can, yeah. it's one way to, to really help it pack a punch. Um, and then it, you get to the midpoint. So this would be right between Act 2A and 2B. And the midpoint, there's a really good book, and it's something like Writing Your Story from the Inside Out by James Scott Bell. And it's a short read. It's very good. And he talks about how almost every book, movie, any type of story you see If you look at the 50% mark, there is a moment and it could be a fleeting moment, like a split second, or it could be a more thoughtful, drawn out moment where that character, it's called a mirror moment. Hmm. The character is looking into some kind of mirror, whether it's a mirror on the wall, like literally a mirror or a character who sort of resembles them. And they're, they're having this moment of, is that where I want to go with my life? or they're looking into a puddle and they see their reflection. And it's like this symbolic representation of, am I going where I want to? Like this self-examination moment for the, for the main character. And it's so interesting. It does, it's almost across every genre. It could be an action-packed film. It could be like Little Women. It could be any, any genre. There's almost always this mirror moment. And sometimes it's more, sometimes it's more metaphorical. Like they're writing a letter to someone or having a conversation with someone and they delve into this question of like, what am I even doing here? What, what's my, it's the big question. What's my purpose? And so also something big generally happens at the midpoint, whether it's related to the mirror moment or not. Um, it's a turning point. It's where they, maybe they're given the chance to go back or, or bail, not continue this journey. Maybe, um, something is revealed that entirely changes everything they thought was true. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a new character shows up generally after the 50% mark, as a side note, you don't have too many new characters showing up because you don't want to complicate things too much for your reader. They're in the story by now. Yeah. Um, but something happens and it's a turning point. It's a, some people call it the scene to hang your hat on, like, <laughs> or the scene to hang your story on without it. The story is entirely different. Mm. And then con- act two continues. You could do more research on this on your own. It's more obstacles, more striving towards that goal. And then at the end of act two, there's an all seems lost moment um, where it looks like they've failed you'll see this a ton in like superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Marvel is Marvel excels at this in their MCU Marvel universe. Um, romantic comedies, romantic movies that are not comedies. There's always the all seems lost moment. And mm-hmm. you want your reader to feel the anguish, not necessarily just to put them through anguish, but to connect, to feel all of this journey with, with the characters. And, and they're, they're on this journey too. Mm. Readers are experiencing these emotions and they're relating it to things in their own lives. Um, even if they're not closely related, you know, if you're watching a love story and you're not currently in a relationship, you still can relate to disappointment and hope in different forms. Um, and then act three, they say it starts off with a bang and never lets up until the end. It's like you're headed towards your climax. It's a pretty quick act. 
um, it's building, you have your final showdown or your final, you know, will they get together or everything is, is hinging on this moment and that's your climax. And then you have your denouement or your falling action. And that's where you tie up all the loose ends and you give your, your reader a chance to breathe and enjoy everything about everything being resolved that you've just put them through for the past, you know, <laughs> 300 pages or however many. And so, as I said, that's like the, that's the briefest explanation of a three act structure. There's so much more we could talk about with it, but go research it and then break some rules. If you want to, that's fine. It keeps us fresh, but keep that in your mind as this is what your reader is generally wired for and has been conditioned to expect in a story through everything else they've read. And so once you understand that you can play with it a little bit and have some fun either within those boundaries or breaking those boundaries. Um, and as far as if you're, if you're someone who really loathes outlining, you don't want <laughs> to know what's going to happen. You want to be surprised just as much as your reader is. Embrace that. Go with it. That's how you were made. You do not have to fit this mold of someone who outlines. But I will say it generally helps to at least have a, an idea of where your story's headed. Mm -hmm. I've heard the comparison made where it's like, if you get on a train, you know where you're starting. So you, you know, you have to get on the train at some point where the station is mm -hmm. and you know where it's ending because you've had to purchase your ticket and you don't necessarily know all of the scenery you're going to encounter along the way and all of the people you're going to sit with and the crazy things that'll happen on the train. And that's akin to life as a writer who's more of a pantser than a plotter. Mm -hmm. If you just know where it's going Go ahead and write that. Um, you can always change it later. Some panthers will freely admit that they do more editing than plotters because as new things come to them, they have to go back and set that up so that mm -hmm. it's plausible. Um, but gosh, I'm giving you a lot of information here. This is <laughs> amazing. You, I will pause <laughs> right there and just say, is there anything I've said you have questions or, or thoughts on or before well, I go on? So first of all, this is so amazing. And I think probably so helpful to everyone out there who has a oh, Google so. doc that is like my novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's 20,000 words in and going, how do I finish this thing? Um, but so I was a little bit familiar with the three ox structure myself. And what I found so interesting that I had not heard other places was that mirror moment that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so funny about, about that is um, I'm currently reading a book. I'm right about the 50% mark. And as you were saying that, I went, my character or the character that I'm reading about right now just had that mirror moment. Oh You're my right. <laughs> he literally looked into a mirror. Isn't um, that funny? It really is. And I had never noticed that before. Yeah. But as I go through all of the, the books that I've been reading recently, that's that's a thread, a common thread that I see. Um, so so interesting. I think, yeah. So I think that's just such a, a, a beautiful thing to think about because I think we can get lost a lot of times in the structure and mm -hmm. forget kind of the character that you're creating as a person and yeah. they're on a journey and, and they are, you know, just like you, whoever is listening at night, you know, you're brushing your teeth, you look in the mirror and you think about where you are in life and, huh, like, I, I thought I would be more here. You know, I'm really glad I'm here or something like that. You are constantly reflecting on your own life. 
And that's such an important thing to bring into your character's life as you're trying to make them a, someone that feels like a real person to the reader. Absolutely. Yes. And on that same note, there's something, there's another concept. Um, if this sort of thing interests you, this is not something you absolutely have to go look up, but if it interests you, look up the phrase scene and sequel. Hmm. scene and sequel. And it's basically this pattern you'll see in, in books or movies where there'll be, say, a highly action-packed scene where a ton of stuff happens or a lot of plot development. And then your reader is ready for a little break, like a little breather after that. And so is your character. And so there's generally another either part of that scene or separate scene that follows where it's almost like a miniature mirror moment. Something happens they, they're eating dinner or they it's something a lot less action-packed and it's called the sequel. Hmm. And so you have to kind of rewire your brain around that word sequel because generally we think of it as a sequel is the follow-up to a whole story. It's the second installment. In scene and sequel, it's more like the follow-up to just a scene. And it's that hmm. moment where they get to reflect like you're talking about because that's where the growth happens. That's where we ponder. Um, and there's a lot of depth and richness there. Mm-hmm. So scene and sequel can be an interesting concept to look into as well. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, so in-depth absolutely. and so helpful. So here's our second question. My joy. <laughs> what do you do when you write a story that has been living in your mind for years and what you produce does not match what you have envisioned, even after a number of drafts? So this must be such a, a difficult feeling to have this story brewing in your mind for what feels like forever, only to finally sit mm-hmm. down and write it and just not like what you've written at all. So what are your thoughts here? Yeah. Has that happened to you? What are, what are your tips? Oh, yes. <laughs> so first of all, you're not, you're, you're not alone. It has happened to me with almost every book. <laughs> and so take heart, take comfort. It doesn't mean you have failed. It does not mean the journey's over. Um, it me- it could mean a couple of different things. So I'm going to give you almost like a flow chart to follow mm-hmm. to sort of process this question. What do you do when your story doesn't match what you had en- envisioned? So the first question I would ask or recommend asking is, okay, it doesn't match what you initially imagine it to be, mm-hmm. but is it possible that it matches what it was meant to be? You know, is it possible that perhaps it came to you in one form and through the process of writing, you're growing as a person, the story's growing. Storytelling is a process of troubleshooting. You're continually going, you're continually asking the question, okay, but how, why could this happen? You're always troubleshooting to say what would actually happen? What would make sense? What would fit this character? What would Mm. be possible? What would be beautiful? And so if you imagine like, like a potter with a lump of clay in their hands, it doesn't look, it looks different at every single stage, Hmm. you know, they have a vision in their head for what it will end up as. And I imagine that sometimes it looks that way. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it looks even better or like something totally different that they never would have imagined on their own, but the process took them there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. You know, we have this hope that, we're not alone in this. It's not entirely up to us. It's almost very freeing to know that it's not just sitting on our shoulders. It must become exactly what we envision it to be. It's more like 
I don't know, there's almost this wilderness about the process. of <laughs> I think I know what it's going to be, but I don't entirely know. And so start with that question. Is it possible that it is what it's meant to be? Mm-hmm. So the answer might be yes. And the answer might be no. And I think either answer is possible. If the answer is yes, I would say, don't worry if there's a little bit of sadness still attached to that, because that's very normal. You know, you can go ahead and mourn that what you envisioned didn't come to be, Hmm. but you can also have joy in that. Like, wow, but this other thing came to be instead, which never would have had a chance if I hadn't just tried. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. So there's some rejoicing there to be had. Um, Backing up to that question, is it possible that it's what it's meant to be? Okay, you may have this innate sense, this deep sense that no, it's not. This is not what it's meant to be. You just know it's not there yet, or I want to back up and try again. Um, That's a very valid response. And so don't be discouraged. If the answer is, is no, it's not meant to be this, don't be discouraged. It's okay to feel, feel a little bit, I'm going to back up. It's okay to be discouraged. <laughs> I'm going to totally contradict myself. It's okay to feel that discouragement, but then like take heart and, and allow that discouragement to become hope mm. that it's just not there yet. It's, it's mm. like you and, and New York, you're just not there yet. You don't have plans yet but I think you will. And this story, it's not done. The story's not over. Some stories have a very long journey. Mm -hmm. One of of my favorite, favorite novels that I've ever read and that I will go back to, I'm sure for the rest of my life, just actually always feel like reading it in the fall. It's called um, A Gentleman in Moscow. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. And it's just the depth and the layering and the dynamics and there's this guy's inner world and the people, he's trapped in a luxury hotel in Moscow for his whole life, basically Mm -hmm. sort of like, um, Tom Hanks, the terminal, but in hotel version instead of airport version. So (laughs) I got to thinking, I read that book and the first time I read it, I was so captivated by it and simultaneously disheartened. Like why can't I write like this? Ugh, so I yes. just thought, how in the world did this guy do this? And how long did it take him? And I looked it up. And the first answer I read said he wrote it in a year. And I was so discouraged. Like, how did he write this masterpiece in a year? That's fast. <laughs> that is so fast. How can he do that? And then I read further and it said that was his first draft. He wrote mm. the first draft in the year. And then I think it was three additional years after that, that he took to edit and to develop the nuances and the wow. layers And so um, if you're feeling discouraged about your story not being what you envision, it could be it's just not there yet. And time is a very crucial ingredient of story. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for us because we want it to be done. We can Mm -hmm. feel what we want it to be. We can envision what we want it to be. And it takes hard work and it takes perseverance and it takes continuing to work even when you're not sure it could ever get untangled. Keep working if you feel like, this is a call on your heart and this story was entrusted to you to give form and life to just keep at it because it's simply not there yet. And that's okay. Mm. Now there's a flip side to that, that sometimes it's, we need to press on, but sometimes we might need to let go. It Mm -hmm. might just not be the project 
for us. Maybe we need to start fresh with something new, or maybe it's finished, but it's becoming clear that it's not, it's just not the time for that story. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two full novels that I've written that have never been published because I was learning to write. Um, they were the novels that I first connected with an agent over. Uh, I'm grateful for that. I love my agent. We tried so hard with those novels. Mm. We got so close so many times. They went to different publishing boards and committees with people. It looked like it was going to happen and then it didn't happen. Mm. And so at some point I just had to go, I think it's time to try something new. And this may never happen. I may never have a book published, but I'm a writer and I can't not write. So what am I going to write? And that's when I thought, I'm just going to write what I feel like writing. And mm -hmm. it, did, it didn't even fit inside of a genre. Like there's, it's still hard to classify it into a genre. It's the book that eventually became Whose Waves These Are. Mm -hmm. And um, it ended up getting contracted before it was even written, which is also kind of an, a miracle. Yeah. Um, it's a long story, but it's okay to let go of a project if it's just feeling like this is not this is not the one that I need to be working on right now. And it doesn't mean it never will be. It might just mean set it aside for now. Give yourself some space. Give yourself some freedom to explore, to find the joy in writing again, mm. um, to create something new, play with something in an entirely different genre if you want, or even a different style or voice. And refresh your creativity in that way and just take heart that we don't know like this whole writing world is such a mystery we don't know what story is needed at what time or mm -hmm. what reader will pick it up where at what time and there's hope in that too you know that if you set it aside it doesn't mean it's done forever but there's freedom to just take a breath and go it's like okay I'm going to set this aside for a while so mm -hmm. there's a there's a flow chart just kind of following those <laughs> questions and those yeses and nos you can figure out what to do next. But the common thread there is if it doesn't match what you envisioned, take heart, be encouraged because there's still hope. There's still a direction forward for this story. There's still purpose for it, no matter what. Sorry, there's motorcycles going by. If you hear that oh, in the background. That's okay. <laughs> um, you have grown through the process of writing it as well. And you don't want to lose sight of that. So even if not another soul ever reads it, it still has had purpose. And hang on to that as well. Mm, that is, that's such an encouraging last tidbit there, because I think, you know, a lot of times when we've poured so much of our mental energy and then actual energy into writing this book and getting it down, and then we're just not happy with, with how it's coming out, we can feel like it was such a waste of time. Right. And why did I invest time into this story? Why did I think it was good in the first place? Um, yes. And so it's really encouraging to hear you say, first of all, that you yourself have had the experience of, I poured myself into these books. They still haven't been published, yeah. but I went on and published something else that was wildly successful, you know? And, and I think like those books that weren't published really seemed to help you continue to exercise the muscle that ended up giving mm -hmm. you that successful book. Absolutely. That's, so, that's a great point. And that we can't just learn writing from reading books about writing. We mm -hmm. also have to write. And it's like, if you're a bodybuilder, you're not going to build up your muscle just by watching videos about of people 
doing their reps, you have to go do them too, you know? And so, like you said, it builds you up. You're always growing. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think writers throughout the course of history have encountered this and we can find some comfort in that too. You're joining the ranks of all your favorites, whoever your favorites are, you're joining their ranks through all these struggles. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our next question. And this one's really different, which I love. How do I go about finding an editor slash publisher that is a good fit for my genre? So I'm so glad we have this question because it's something a little bit more on the practical side that I think Mm -hmm. probably a lot of aspiring novelists forget about and they're really thinking about their story. But I think it's a great thing to think about what happens after this story is, is done. Absolutely. So what was your journey like in, you know, finding um, a publisher and, and sure. book contracts and things like that? Yeah. So um, the first thing I would say is have some fun dreaming. We'll take a look at your favorite books, um, who's putting out present day books that you love, even who's putting out classics that you love, whatever it is, um, and just have some fun dreaming. What would it be like to write for that publisher? That's kind of fun. Mm. You, you want to pay attention to who's publishing books that are like yours for a couple of reasons. A, because eventually, hopefully, if this is the direction that you're you're going, there's also independent publishing, which is a whole other exciting world. Um, but if you're looking to be traditionally published, publishers do have their specialties. They do have things they put out and things they don't put out. And you want to be attentive to that as a sign of respect to them so that someday when you're querying them or your agent is querying them, um, you're not, you know, wasting their time and yours by asking about something they don't even do. Yeah. Um, but B also it's, it's good to explore. Okay. This is my dream publisher. Let's give them a name. Maybe they're like, I don't know. I'm looking around this pine trees around here. Pine, <laughs> pine tree publishers. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real publishing house or not. So if they are shout out to <laughs> pine tree publishers, um, what are they publishing? How is it like my style? And also how am I going to try and make my story different enough Mm. that they would be interested and not say, well, we already have our authors who are doing this and we don't want to introduce competitive titles into our own line. You know, how can I be complementary to what they're doing and not a competitor to what they're doing necessarily? Mm -hmm. Um, And that shouldn't, that shouldn't guide the course of your whole story or your whole style, but it's something to keep in mind. Um, and then also, so just so we have a quick, uh, we're on the same page, sort of the key players at this, when we're talking about the logistics, the key players in traditional publishing, um, are the writer who is you, whoever's listening, mm-hmm. the agent and the publisher. And usually publishers will provide the editors or contract with freelance, with freelance editors. So most not all, but most traditional publishers will only accept submissions, manuscript submissions from agents. Mm. This is not true of some, um, particularly academic publishers or sometimes smaller publishers will still accept submissions directly from the writer, but usually they're looking for something from an agent. And so what that means for us as writers is when we have a manuscript ready to go, and it's, it's edited, it's, you're sure it's ready to show, you know, that whole, you only get one chance at a good first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let that phrase scare you. Cause there's always other 
chances and ways, but you do want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward whenever possible and respecting everybody's time and skill by doing your work first. You're going to be querying agents. And so you can start by looking at literary agents, just doing an internet search. You can get a, a guidebook. There's guidebooks put out about agents and publishers um, every year, like a marketplace, pub publishers marketplace, something like that. Um, a lot of, many agencies have websites and blogs and they will tell you almost without exception, they will tell you on their websites what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. Mm. And pay attention to that because it, it can really bug them if you're sending them a manuscript that's outside their genre. Or if they say specifically, I don't represent poetry, don't say in your head, well, that's because they haven't seen my poetry. <laughs> you know, we, we all, I don't think it would sound like that in anybody's head, but just to, to jest about it, we kind of had that hope. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> submit to people who say they're looking for what you're writing. You can do this through their submission process, which you can find on literary agents' websites. And they'll say, send it to this email address, send it with a query letter. And you can, again, Google, how do you write a query letter? Um, you can also go to writers' conferences to connect with literary mm -hmm. agents and pitch your project to them. That's a really unique opportunity because you get to see them face-to-face. Mm-hmm. It's kind of special. You get to see they're doing this because they love books just like you do. And they love people just like you do. We can get it in our heads that they're like this, <laughs> I don't know, big ominous presence or no, that we're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. We just have different roles. And you see that in action at writers conferences. It's pretty beautiful. Mm. And so you can get pitching appoint appointments. And sometimes some conferences even allow you to pitch to agents at meals. It depends on the conference and how they have it set up. Um, and so you'll have practiced what they call your elevator pitch. Anything I'm saying that you're like, what is that? Just jot it down and Google it later when you're not feeling overwhelmed <laughs> one piece at a time. And you'll figure out your query letter. You'll figure out your elevator pitch, just one piece at a time. It's all going to work out. Uh, so through query letters or through writers conferences, you can connect with agents and then your agent and you, once you sign with an agent, you can develop a strategy together about who will this be a good fit for? Who, mm -hmm. how are we going to send it out? Are we going to send it out widely to lots of publishers at once? Are we going to send it out to just like your dream publisher first and let them know this is an exclusive just for you first before we let others consider <sighs> it? Like there's all these kind of nuances and they're so good. Agents, it's like an art form. Mm. So that's, those are the key players there. Um, and once you are contracted with a publisher, then they hook you up with an editor for all the various stages of editing. There's a lot of different stages, which is actually kind of a fun process. It's hard work, but it's a fun mm -hmm. process. There's this whole other side of it, which is, so everything I've said is for traditional publishing where a publisher puts out your work for you. But there's so many opportunities now too with self-publishing or independent publishing, which are um, same thing, just different phrases for it. And I will say, if you go the route of self-publishing, you can do it really well, mm. or you can do it really poorly. And um, you will see examples out there of people doing both. Some people are doing incredible things lately with independent publishing and self-publishing. And you can hire editors, you can hire cover designers, or perhaps that's an extra gift you have yourself. Mm -hmm. But don't be afraid to take the time to really make it a stellar product 
to put it out. Because I think sometimes one of the draws of independent publishing is you can get your book out faster than you can usually through mm-hmm. a traditional publisher. But even though that's true, take the time to do it right. Take the mm-hmm. time to learn. It's a steep learning curve, uh, but there are so many great resources out there. So many podcasts, blogs, social media groups. People are very generous to share their experiences, um, their advice, favorite cover designers, favorite editors, editors who do great with certain genres. Just don't be afraid to ask for help or guidance. And it, again, it can feel overwhelming. Take a deep breath one step at a time and don't don't um, balk at the idea of it just taking some time. Hmm. So uh, does that answer the question pretty well? I think, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, yeah, I think I think this is definitely an area that a lot of writers don't like to think about because it's not mm-hmm. whimsical, it's not fun right. and romantic. Right. Um, it's it's the nitty gritty, and it's the it I wish someone would just say yes versus me having to convince them and right. you know all of this. But yeah, um, but it, it's wonderful to hear from a person that's been through it so many times. Now you've written you know so many books now. And, um, to hear the, just, this is the step-by-step process and it's just like a, okay, you're going to have to figure out your elevator pitch. You're going to have to figure out your letter and it's not fun at the moment. You might feel overwhelmed and like, you don't know what you're supposed to say, how to put any of it together. But just as you mentioned, a simple Google search, take some time, give yourself an afternoon to really think about, okay, what is my elevator? What would get me to pick this book up? You know, if I knew nothing about it, just give yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that when you phrase what would get me to pick it up. When you, when you do that, when you kind of just put yourself in a different role than the one you're actually in, it, it really makes things less intimidating and Mm -hmm. really simplifies things. It's a great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to, this is our last question, which I think is a wonderful one. I'm so excited to hear your answer. When a person is multi-talented, how would you recommend finding time to write as well as juggle many other interests? I love this question too. Um, and I think we could even expand it. So it's it's absolutely applicable if you have been entrusted with the wonderful gift of having many multiple talents and interests. <laughs> and we could even expand it to say this also applies to someone who has many demands on their time, you know, in maybe they're working full time or they're mm-hmm. caretaker to somebody or many somebodies, or um, maybe their schedules are just very fragmented and it's hard to find blocks of time to write. And, or maybe it's someone who is really trying to be a steward of many different gifts at the same time, all absolutely valid and very real situations. So mm-hmm. um, there's a, there are a lot of different answers to this story. I think it's different to the story, to this question. I think it's different for each situation and each personality and each person's current season. But some of them are, as an overarching answer, that you don't have to balance everything. Um, I've heard it said balance is a myth. You know, we have, we, people are always saying balance, balance your life. And, and we mean well, when we say that there's nothing wrong with pursuing this feeling of balance. But sometimes we get this like mathematical image of a perfectly 
symmetrical pie chart in our heads when we think mm-hmm. of balance, like equal parts to this gift and that talent and this this obligation and that responsibility. When it actually can look much more dynamic, you know, we may spend most of our days caring for others or tending to a full-time job, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we may only have a little bit of time at the end to figure out what to put it towards. And if this story, or maybe it's a nonfiction project, whatever it is, if something's on your heart to write, it can happen. It can happen in tiny snippets. It could happen in one big block of time. There's Mm -hmm. so many different ways that it could happen. And it just happens by leaning into it and carving out time and being diligent and, um, persistent. That sounds kind of like kind of a negative word, but persevering. And it might be 15 minutes a day and that's okay. And it might take your mind some time to adjust to that and go, I can make a book in 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And you can be very disheartened by thinking, well, how long is that going to take over the long term? Don't worry about that. Just do your 15 minutes a day, grab those moments when they come. Otherwise we're going to spend our lives thinking, I only have 15 minutes. I can't write my book. And then five years go by of us saying that. And those five years could have gone by of us doing it. And then you have a book or you truly may be in a season where you don't even have 15 minutes or you're stewarding your other gifts and there's opportunity for them and a need for them in a very um, like pertinent way right now. There's a call for it right now. Maybe you're Maybe it's music, maybe it's acting, maybe it's um, homemaking, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's something that's a door has opened for you right now. And so you're doing it and you may have this story on your heart and you could keep, keep a notebook, keep a file on your computer where whenever you get a little piece, you can put in there like a safe to keep Mm -hmm. it for you for when the time comes and just pray like, God, show me when it's time to start this. Mm -hmm. You might do something kind of crazy and kind of fun like NaNoWriMo and try and write it out all in a month <laughs> because something beautiful happens in those situations too, where you're trying to do, um, I think in NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, they're trying to do a 50,000 word novel in 30 days. So you're writing over yeah. a thousand words per day. Some people only do it on weekends. Some people do it every day. They're writing on lunch breaks. They're writing after they get off work or before they get off work, but they're getting their word count in. And Mm -hmm. what happens with that is you build momentum. And at some point, your story starts to pull itself along because you have all this body of material you've put down and all these pieces working with you Mm -hmm. to help push it forward. So when you do something in a short amount of time, it's very concentrated. It can happen that way too. Mm -hmm. So just take a look at what your obligations are, what your gifts are, what opportunities are open for them right now and say, I'm going to carve out some time for this. Even if it's, even if it's five minutes, mm-hmm. even if it's one line a day, if you could do one page a day, even better because <sighs> you're keeping that momentum going, but even one line a day. And I've heard some writers say it's very hard to put their work count in. They're tired. They're yeah. running low on energy or ideas, mm-hmm. especially when they have other creative gifts and, and it exhausts you mentally. Mm-hmm. You can tell yourself we can, you're not lying to yourself. You're just telling you, you're making the project small for yourself. And you just say, all I have to do is write a hundred words mm-hmm. and a hundred words is like two lines. It's really small. And yeah. suddenly you feel like, okay, I'm exhausted, but I need, I can do that. 
And then what you find is you write those two lines and it keeps going. Yeah. And so there are many, many different ways to steward that and to, to look at your schedule. And it's almost like playing a game. Where can I fit this in? Mm-hmm. And if you really feel like it's just not working, it's feeling forced, I don't feel peace about this, then listen to that too. And that just that's okay. You can embrace that. Keep your notebook, keep your file and keep your someday. And someday can be a magical promise mm-hmm. that you have to look forward to. So it's different for everybody. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm really curious, what are some other interests you have or even other responsibilities that you have that you have found actually help your writing? Oh, what a fun question. I actually think this is just a working theory. I have Mm -hmm. not done studies on this or anything, but I kind of think that whoever we are and whatever our interests are, they all tend to be pretty complimentary, even Mm -hmm. when they look like they're competitors. For example, um, so I'm a mom, I have four kids Mm -hmm. and they're all at different stages of life. It's very busy time. But so I could look at that as my call to write and my call to motherhood are competing callings um, because they both require time. I have to pick which, which, pieces of time to put where, yeah. but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think I can go live wholeheartedly as a mom and totally be, you know, present with my kids, invested with them, having adventures with them. And it fills me up mm. with ideas and creativity. And it's not like I'm using my kids to fuel my writing in a weird way, <laughs> like Monsters Inc. uses kids laughter to fuel their electricity. Not like that, <laughs> but you'll find that whatever your callings are, yeah, we're, we're called to pour into them, but you're also being filled up when you do them. Yeah. And it refreshes you and it equips you to do the next thing. Um, another one is I, I'm not good at it, but I do enjoy watercolor painting. (laughs) And so what I've noticed with that is it makes me there go the motorcycles again. (laughs) I'm at a, I'm at a park, everybody. Sorry about all the background noise. Um, Painting watercolor, it makes me a noticer, um, mm. even of things like shadows or how the shadows are playing. And sometimes that will trigger some words in my mind and I'll go write it down. I'll use it in a book later or I'll use it on this. I'm working on a children's project or, mm. um, or I just won't use it at all, but it builds that muscle like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and honestly, even things like being a homemaker, you know, keeping a house for my family. I'm really, I'm really not a very good natural, like housekeeper. I don't know (laughs) if it's the creative mindset or what, but it takes a lot of, of diligence for me to, um, but it also is fun. It's, it's fun to make a home and make it be a place of comfort and life and joy and beauty. And, um, so sometimes when I'm done with a big writing project, and I haven't had very much time to put towards the house and things that are getting away a little bit. It's actually pretty fun and refreshing to dive into that. I know that sounds crazy, but to mm. do something with my hands where I don't really have to use my mind very much and it lets my mind rest, mm-hmm. but I'm still doing something that's, it's serving people and it's um, transforming something. And that gives me fresh eyes toward the process of editing. Mm. Um, I just built like a, a desk area well, with the help of my husband, I did the sanding and the staining and that kind of things, those kind of things. And that 
helps me prepare for editing too, because what are you doing when you're sanding a piece of wood? You're editing it. You're smoothing away Mm. the things that get in the way of somebody enjoying it. And so I'm about to head back into a season of editing my novel whenever I get it back from my publisher pretty soon here. Mm. And having just sanded down this piece of wood, I can now approach that with, okay, we're going to do some sanding now. It's just words instead of wood and splinters. I love that thought that your different responsibilities, the different things that you have to do or like to do in life are never taking away from something like writing or other interests that you might be having. Yeah. It all builds on top. And I absolutely love the image of editing wood. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's an original thought. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. It is a fun thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. That was our last question. And I just so appreciate you pouring into these questions and giving our listeners, which I I assume there are so many aspiring novelists in this, um, in our listeners, giving them the tools to move forward and the encouragement from someone who has gone through it, who understands what they're going through. It's a joy. It excites me so much to think of anyone listening right now, that's the stories swimming around their heads and their hearts, all the potential with that. And not just the stories themselves, but the hearts they will touch someday and the hearts they will encourage someday. It's this amazing domino effect to think about. So to everyone out there, who's got an idea swimming around, that idea is not on accident and it wasn't yeah. given to you by accident. So embrace that. And I'm so excited about that and to see what it someday becomes. Incredible. Yes. Let this encourage you and maybe think about doing NaNoWriMo, someone listening. Totally. It's a great place to start. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to our last segment, which is our maybe suggest segment of the podcast where we suggest to you the things that we have been reading, watching, eating, or wearing this week that made us really happy to be alive. Everything we suggest will be linked in the description of this episode for you to check out. So Amanda, what's your suggestion this week? This is so fun. I had fun thinking about it. Um, so with the weather turning and this being autumn, which is my favorite season, mm-hmm. um, The only thing I don't love about it is that there's more darkness and less light. (laughs) I don't love that. I do love the coziness that comes with that. And so one of my favorite things this time of year is I get up early to write. That's when I do most of my writing. Um, Sometimes 4 a.m., sometimes 5 a.m. Wow. And it's chilly. So I plug in my electric blanket and it's soft and it's warm very fast and it feels like an embrace around you. And so kind of a silly thing to recommend, but if you don't have an electric blanket, (laughs) I got it last, I got it last winter and it has been such a delight for seasons like this. So I'll plug that. I'll turn it on when I get up first thing and I kind of heap it up or fold it up. So it's all warming itself up too, in all the nooks and crannies. And then I put my tea kettle on, get my tea all ready. So the other thing I recommend with this is, um, maple black tea. Mm. I like black teas. I like black teas with like, um, some sweetener and some cream. Um, and this time of year, I like to do a maple black tea. So I'll make that. And then by then the blankets all warm and I'll light my candle and I'll go get under my blanket in my chair and off I go writing whatever story world I'm in at that time. (laughs) And I'm drinking my tea and there's my candle flickering. So there you have it. That sounds like the dream. I think I need an electric blanket. I think you do. I think (laughs) everybody does. (laughs) 
How about you? What's your recommendation? Well, this week I am going to suggest The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. And I think writing can feel so solitary and lonely and Mm -hmm. a little bit um, hard to uh, have community and, and get out of your head sometimes. Definitely. And so what I love about this book is it really comes alongside the writer and it helps you claim your role as a writer and um, it inspires you, but it also challenges you, which I love. And it it also just is filled with absolutely beautiful prose and it's Mm -hmm. just like a lovely read just all around. So amazing. Yes. It will make you want to be a better writer, which I think is (laughs) what we all want. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So that's my suggestion. I love it. All right. To wrap up this episode, Amanda, how can listeners find and connect with you and and check out what you're up to or what new projects you're working on? Oh, I'd love to connect. So as far as social media, I'm mainly on Instagram, although whatever I post there does also post to Facebook. So I'm (laughs) Amanda underscore spins underscore stories on Instagram, Amanda spins stories. Um, Or you can just go to my website, amandadykes.com and click all the social media links from there. Um, and I do have a monthly newsletter that I send out that's called three good things. And I try to send three good things each month, things people would like to see in their inbox. Um, and there's always a recipe included from another author because we all have to eat and it's fun to get inspiration (laughs) and then two other things. And so if you would like to subscribe, you can do that on again at amandadykes.com. Lovely. That sounds like such a lovely newsletter that I want to be getting. (laughs) Oh, I hope it is. It's really fun to put together. Yeah. Well, if you want to get in contact with me, you can search my name on any of the socials and reach out. And of course, check out Wallflower Journal, where we have new articles every week about relationships or beauty, sometimes recipes or personal stories, and so much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Wallflower today. If you have a question you'd like answered, you can send your letter to dearwallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. Every letter we read will be kept totally anonymous. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.